Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, welcome to Leech Fest, a podcast about incestuous noble families oh my God, no, and genetic don't start diseases. Like that. No. We are going to have a raunchy, nasty episode today that's actually more scientific than you think. You know, we might have people who are just tuning in, like, this episode mm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if that is you. <laughs> it, you it, should it know tends... that this is the dynamic. There is science and there's also raunchy, dirty nastiness. Yeah, but it's mainly it's mainly science. It's, it's mainly, mainly science. history. But this episode is going to be a little freaky. So if you're <laughs> if you're easily disturbed... Um, maybe don't listen to it. I don't know. I, I, okay, like, I'm excited to, to record this. I'm excited I think to it's, record it. I think it's interesting. And I think that it's a topic that, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess it, it does get talked about, but it's still, it's still a taboo. And so I think it would be interesting to discuss. Basically, we're going to talk about genetic disorders and we're going to talk about incestuous marriages. Mm-hmm. You can imagine what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about two noble families we're going to talk about the Romanovs. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're going to talk about the Romanovs. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about the probably the most famous of all incestuous marriages in the world, mm-hmm. the Habsburg family. I have a lot namely, prepared here. Namely, the jaw. The, oh, I have so, oh, there's so much more than the jaw. <laughs> there's so much more than just the jaw. The jaw is famous, and I'm going to talk about the jaw, but there's so much more. Yeah. This family, oh. oh I, I can oh, tell oh. you're so excited to talk about it. You've I'm been... Bursting in the seams. Oh, my God. Ever since we said that we were going to do this podcast, I've been like, I've been so happy. Because I can talk about this the is your chance. nastiest per people in history. Mm-hmm. And it's sexual history, all like a little bit. It's connected to sexual history. Mm, it's not yeah, really... so that, and that's and that's that w- that was kind of your your that was my thing, field. Yeah, um, yeah the history of sexology and history things like that, degree. and genetic the genetic aspect is like connected to this. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Before we go into that, how are you? How have you been? I'm good. I've made a new video. Mm-hmm. I I'm a YouTuber still. <laughs> that career is still supporting me. So uh, you're not doing full time podcasting. Just no, yet? not yet. Not yet. Mm. I'm working a bit too much, maybe. I'm stressing, but I'm doing. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm. I'm good. I also had a really full week. I had a bunch of deadlines that I had to do some work for, but now I'm done, and I'm really relieved to be done. To be honest, I feel like we both had a pretty full week. Oh, for sure. Um, do you know what? I'm not good. I I accidentally shaved off half my eyebrows because I was oh, trying no. to do an eyebrow slit. Oh no! And I look stupid, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> I'm 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 really mad about it. You accidentally so. shaved off your eyebrows yeah, yeah. entirely. Do you know why? Because do I you use... look like a shaved egg? Yeah, I look like an egg. I I used a razor oh stupidly. I think you're supposed to use like a blade or like a you know a buzzer that you'd use to buzz your hair off. But I you know being the smart person that I am, I just used like a razor and I just kind of went at it. And before I knew it. Gone. <laughs> Gone. So now I have four to six so now uh, you weeks. So now you look like a member of the Habsburg family. Oh my god. Don't say that. It's a noble and distinguished family. You should be honored to be part of such a distinguished, distinguished, lin- <laughs> distinguished lineage. Um, anyway. And we're actually going to thank some patrons this month because we've been doing this podcast for a month now. Mm-hmm. And that means that we're actually going to 
thank individual patrons mm-hmm. uh, because we have some of, some of those after yeah. just two episodes. Thank you very much, by the way. For this episode, we want to thank everyone, but in particular, we want to thank old woman Josiah. Thank you for being a, a supportive patron. Thank you for making this podcast possible. We are so grateful for you and for every other patron that we have that is honestly making this podcast possible. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about incest. What is incest? I'm imagining some theoretical Vsauce music here. What is incest when you think about it really also uh, starting the podcast on a strong note what is incest what is incest well like when you think about it well we're going to talk obviously about some noble families how that has uh, resulted itself genetically but incest means very different things to many different people mm-hmm. over many different periods of history mm-hmm. family marriages were actually pretty common today we view basically like if you marry someone within within your family, we kind of view that as being somehow incestuous, like some, somewhat incestuous. Mm-hmm. But remember, like for most of human history, people lived in like villages, but not a huge population. Like you're going to be like distantly related to everyone. And mm-hmm. when you think about it, that's all of humans. Every single human on earth is distantly related to everyone else. We, we do eventually come from a very small population of humans in Africa. But in human history, family marriages... We're still pretty common. People have always known that marrying close relatives is, like, not maybe the best idea. (laughs) They've known, like, since before the age of the Roman Empire that, like, brother and sister having kids, eventually that's gonna result in birth defects and health problems. So genetic diversity is something that people kind of understood before they even knew what genes were. Like, it's good to, to be a bit varied. Many different religions have bans against marrying blood relatives in varying degrees. Family marriages generally uh, are something that were very common in history when genealogy meant a lot of things and status. Depending on how you would marry, that would affect the status of your family. You can rise and fall in terms of status and wealth. And if one person in your family holds a royal title, suddenly genealogy becomes like very important. Because their heir is going to obviously inherit that royal title. So if you are a bit uh, a bit finagly, you can make sure that you can get more royal titles by marrying correctly. For example, one family might hold the throne of one princedom, another family might hold the throne to another. And the heir of such a union would hold both princedoms and mm. both families would become uh, more wealthy. They mm-hmm. would double their land. It's very practical. And that's, like, that's true for all marriages, really. Um, especially when you join two different families. But that newfound wealth or status or whatever is obviously split among the families that are marrying. So it's not a lot of return on your marriage investment. But what if you could keep it within the family? Now, obviously, we're going to talk about two European royal families in this episode, primarily. But I also want to cover like some international space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk I think ab- that's a really good yeah, idea. Talk about like the status of like incestuous marriages and incest generally over the world and over history. And also, like, some regular people. Most people, after all, haven't been haven't been noble. I do also want to say that, like, cousin marriages, which is, like, primarily what we're going to talk about here, and actually something that is common when we talk about, like, incest, incest in the royal families that we're going to talk about later. Um, for a lot of history, cousin marriages haven't really been seen as, as incestuous. Mm. Like, brother and sister, yes. Parents and child, yeah, that was, like... 
bad. Everyone, even, even they were agreeing that like, okay, maybe. Oh yeah, most people throughout history have been like, ah, oh, that's a bit too close. That's a bit much. Like, it's not great. Yeah. Cousin marriages, though, fine, that's fine. For some religions. However, cousin marriages were still seen as family marriages. You were still... you. They knew what cousins were. Like, the, this is a part of the family. But not so close to where it becomes a problem. Regular people would often do cousin marriages because it helps keep wealth within the family. It helps keep land within the family. Plus, you know, marriages are easy to plan because families already know each other. <laughs> Think of all the family you already share. I want to sort of preface this entire thing by saying that, like, cousin marriages are still practiced today in, like, a lot of countries and areas in the world and are seen as perfectly normal and, like, legal and completely normalized and are, like, extremely common in some places. Mm. So... It's all banter. It's, it's all... It's, it's a lot of banter and we should say that, like, genetically, it's mm -hmm. probably not that great, especially mm. over time. Like, that's just a scientific fact. Like, morally, ethically, that's not really, like, a question that we can't answer, really. But we also don't want to like put too much of a value judgment here, as as it is, in many areas of the world, perfectly normal. In fact, in some areas, cousin marriages are seen as ideal, like even better than like a stranger marriage, because like if you if you're marrying a total stranger, it's a bit risky. You don't know them. You don't know what genetics they're bringing bringing yeah, into. Yeah, you don't know their family history. If you're staying in the family, let's maybe safer. they've gotten you know some weird uncle that gambles. You don't want that in the family. You don't want that in the family. <laughs> and commoners from like throughout world history and every single geographic location in the world at some point or another have practiced cousin marriages. Mm -hmm. and, it's been, and again, it's been perfectly, perfectly legal, perfectly okay. However, there are some interesting phenomena throughout history and in some cultures that like stand out in terms of familial marriages. And I want to talk about them as well. So let's talk about China, like a little, little bit. China. Oh my god, I was waiting. I was I wanted to I do was it. waiting for that. I was I was like I I, I knew you were going to go into that and I was like, oh, yeah. is she going to is she going to say it? Of weird? course I'm going to. China. In ancient Chinese history, in some areas, cuz China is obviously huge. Mm -hmm. uh, but in some areas of China, there were cases where certain clans would only marry members of another clan. So like clan A only marries people from clan B and vice versa. And this means that it is okay in these cultures to marry your cousin on the other side. Because obviously if you keep marrying the other family, they're going to become... You're going to have cousins on that side of the family. Marrying those cousins are okay. But marrying cousins on your own side mm -hmm. is not okay. Mm. This means that so-called parallel cousins, like on your own side of the family, they're off. Uh, usually counted by the paternal line, because that's, that's how world history is mm -hmm. in most cultures. While cross-cousins, as in on the other side of the family... Uh, they're free game. You know, I've never heard of that. Why did they do that in China? Uh, they saw it as like a good way to do an alliance. Oh, like if, okay. if if one clan, which is just basically one huge family mm -hmm. in various respects, they basically had like an alliance with one other family. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to control vast areas of land. Like you you, you can't, it's hard to kind of join clans mm -hmm. because then like it's too big and like yeah, fa you, families you are going to split eventually. You created ties with people yeah. from other clans. Gotcha. And effectively it became like one big one big family. It mm. was a way to join clans without actually doing so, because mm. then that would create problems with like uh, inheritance and other forms of like administration. It's too complicated. But by doing this, they could effectively have twice the power, twice the land, twice the money. Very practical. In ancient Persia, nobles from the Zoroastrian religion, which was the dominant religion before uh, before Islam came into the region, 
they saw marriages between brother and sister as the best type of marriage. Oh my god. It's, it's divine. Mm-hmm. Literally divine. They saw it as a religious, like, good thing. This was called, and I'm gonna butcher this name, and I'm very sorry for modern Zoroastrians, although this practice isn't practiced today by modern Zoroastrians, but unfortunately I can't pronounce this. It was something called Shwedoda. Mm-hmm. Shwedoda. And there is dubious evidence that says this was actually common among commoners. It was almost exclusively practiced by the clergy and by noblemen. And Zoroastrians today don't do this as well. Some people think Zoroastrian is a dead religion. It's not. Freddie Mercury was actually raised Zoroastrian. Did you know? I had no idea. Hmm, Yeah, it's true. So what was the belief behind this? Well, the idea was that those who marry their next of kin are particularly pure and free from corruption by Ariman which is a, a sort of deified, evil, corrupting force in Zoroastrianism. Mm-hmm. Like like how Christianity sees like the devil as some sort of like evil, corrupting force. They see Ariman as an evil, corrupting force. You can't do a parallel, obviously, because it's a completely different religion. It's not even Abrahamic. The idea was that those who stay within the religion, within marrying within the family, as close as possible, yeah, but you the less just corrupted married, they are. But you could have just married somebody else who was practicing Zoroastrianism. So why did you have it to marry... It doesn't count. It has to be within the family. The, cl- the closer the family ties, the better. Interesting. Although they, it, it should be noted that Skwidoda was also something... Uh, there was a name that could also encompass cousin marriages and like any type of familial marriage. Mm-hmm. But the closer the type of marriage, the better. Mm. Uh, it should also be noted that other things that were seen as particularly pure and free from corruption were things like goat urine... <laughs> Uh, sheep's milk. There's an ancient religion here. They, they do cool things. So this kind of marriage was seen as like a religiously good thing to do. Like, this is a good thing for the gods. It is pure, free from corruption. It also plays into the creation myth of the Zoroastrian religions, uh, because some sources claim that all humans are originally born from a Svedoda marriage. An equivalence, I guess. Again, you can't really do a comparison to a Christian religion because they're so completely different religions. But if Adam and Eve were brother and sister, and all of humanity sprouts from that. That's basically the idea. Hugely oversimplified, obviously. Um, if you want to learn more about Zoroastrianism, please do. Again, it's a fascinating religion. This marriage was eventually eliminated during the Muslim conquest of Persia. They saw marriages like this as completely forbidden. Haram, not great at all. Some Muslim philosophers had the idea that like Zoroaster the founder of sorts to Zoroastrianism, basically declared these marriages as halal. And that's why, like, this wasn't some sort of corruption by by evil forces. This was just like, oh, this is the guy who said that, like, yeah, it's probably okay, and that makes sense. That's why these people do this. And he had a more progressive view, because he said, like, yeah, this is just the culture that they do. Whereas most kings and caliphs in the area would brutally repress the Zoroastrians, unfortunately. But when talking about the ancestral noble marriages, it might actually not be an understatement to say that no one can do it like European noble families. Mm. European noble families may have been the most incestuous people in the history of Earth. For once, our our Eurocentricism is actually valid, (laughs) because Europeans just did it way more. As any story about European history, we need to start in Rome. The Roman Empire banned uh, marriages between first cousins, as did the early Roman Catholic Church. But if you were rich, you could pay to have an exemption. Even even then, if you had enough money, you could just be like, hey, Pope, I want to marry my cousin. Is that okay? 
Granted. <laughs> Granted. God, God loves you. <laughs> Thanks for the gold. This is because in the Bible, you cannot marry any blood relative. In the 1200s, the church decided that, okay, it's too easy to marry your family. This is unacceptable. We can't do this anymore. We need to crack down on this. So they changed the way that they calculated how you were related to other people. And they also changed that you couldn't marry anyone who were even as close as your sixth cousin. Which, by the way, is the great-great-great-great-grandchildren of your great-great-great-great-grandparents' sibling. Which is very, very far removed. This caused chaos. Because suddenly no one who was Christian could marry basically anyone. Mm. If you lived in an isolated village, you had a hard time finding anyone that you could marry. Can do shit in this village. Every, everyone's like my fifth cousin from removed. The thing is, like, six cousin is like... That's a lot of yeah. A lot it of doesn't sound like cousins. it doesn't sound like a lot when you say it, but then you start counting generations. Yeah, and that's that's a lot. And yeah, like if you if you live in a really small village, that's basically basically everyone. That's basically everyone. Mm. Yeah. So why were they so strict about it? That's what the Bible said. Mm. There may also have been some people who were like very paranoid about birth defects, mm. um, but like even six cousins, that's like you're you're overcompensating. They're not taking at this point. yeah. They're not taking any chances for sure. <laughs> And again, this caused, this caused complete chaos because people didn't know who could be their sixth cousin. Like, that could be anyone. Thousands of marriages could be nullified if people found out that you were married to someone uh, as close as your third cousin. So they had to change this by mm-hmm. 1215. So now you could marry your fourth cousin without dispensation, which is still, like, pretty far. Again, you can still ask or pay for dispensation, even in, up to including your very first cousin. This has basically been the case up until extremely recently. The Roman Catholic Church didn't change this until 1985. And now in Roman Catholicism, it is okay to marry someone who isn't your first cousin, but your second is okay. In civil law, though, outside of like European religion and stuff like that, it has varied extremely much on region. Sometimes cousin marriages have been outright banned, sometimes it's been fine. But today, cousin marriages are legal all over Europe, South and Central America, Africa, the Middle East. It might be banned in uh, in China, and it's only really banned sometimes in India, depending on your religion, and in a lot of American states. Okay, so now we've talked a bit about the history of family marriages, and I mean, I guess the conclusion that we can draw from that is that it was pretty common in history, like, especially when it comes to nobles and and richer families, like, people did it. And now I wanted to talk a bit about the scientific part of it. What what actually happens when you you mess with your cousins? Let's put it that way. Um, so as you as you said before, um, inbreeding is is just typically described as a union between couples that are known to share at least one common ancestor, and usually the consequences of inbreeding include developmental delay, physical animalities, and intellectual handicap. There's also a, a term for the decreased biological fitness of the population, which usually results from its inability to survive and reproduce that is caused by inbreeding, and it's inbreeding depression. Um, Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what it's called. So, the root of the problem is the expression of recessive genes. There's almost like like a popular belief that, you know, if you have a child with somebody in your family, like, that child might 
be born with a defect and that's um, you know, because of a mutation or because of... Like the act of inbreeding will cause something bad to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But really what's happening here is the expression of recessive genes. So a lot of us carry a handful of genes that have the potential to cause serious illnesses. So these might include like cystic fibrosis, sickle cell uh, anemia, Tay-Sachs disease, albinism. There's, there's lots of them. Albinism? Yeah. However, these genes mostly stay inactive because they're the recessive form of the gene. And most of us just carry one copy of the recessive form of the gene. So do you remember doing Punnett squares in school? Uh, kind of. <laughs> the one that we got like, you, you have like uh, a grid... Yeah, and it's, the grid. You have one that's like XX, XY. Yeah, yeah. So you exactly. can see like the. Yeah, so I remember doing them for um, flower color. So you had like red flowers and white flowers. Oh, yeah. And then there was another blue, one. Eye color. Eye color. They did, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. with the blue eyes. And then you may have done eye color and flies. And that was like the, the, um, the sex linked recessive genes. Do you do do you remember no, that? Well, I, anyway, I have not done anyway, if you've done if you've done Punnett squares, like this is basically what it is. So most of us carry recessive genes, right? But we don't show the disease because we also carry the the other copy of the gene, which carries the uh, functional gene. Mm. However, the deadly disease of, of blue eyes. <laughs> however, when when a couple with a common ancestor forms. Um, there is a much higher chance that the offspring of that couple will share the disease, right? So if mm. there's a if there's a, a disease that runs in the family, like Tay-Sachs or sickle cell anemia, the kid is a lot more likely to get both recessive mm. copies of the disease if both parents are carriers. And that's possible. That's like all, always possible. Yeah, even even between strangers, yeah, right? Yeah. That like two strangers sure. can have the recessive thing too. It's just but a much it, higher chance. Because yeah. of... like two people from the same family most likely have like a similar genetic makeup yeah, exactly. so they mm. may have the similar exactly recessive gene yeah so it's just that the risk of the kid inheriting recessive conditions just increases substantially yeah and that's you know that's typically what happens uh, when somebody is born as it is colloquially colloquially known in bread mm. So, Mia, the whole reason I actually wanted to do this episode was because I was reading this book called The Witches of St. Peter Petersburg. And then I was watching The Last Czars on Netflix. I, I don't know about you, but I get this phase once a year where all I want to do is I want to read Russian literature and watch movies set in Russia. And I want to hear about the Romanovs and I want to do all that stuff. Like, mm. it's, it's just a phase that happens every year. I oh, just... Yeah. We all have Imperial Russia fever every mm -hmm. year. Sometime. Just listen to, like, march, marching music. Mm -hmm. Some um, weird, like, waltzes. Yeah, the waltzes were so nice. Say what you want about the Russian Imperial family. They were tyrannical, like, madmen. But at mm. the same time, they had a sense of style. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that we, I think we both agreed that the, the Lost Tsars on Netflix didn't do so well. Like, they really portrayed the Romanovs as a lot nicer and kinder yeah. than they really so, were. So there's a show on Netflix called The Last Tsars mm -hmm. that portray the last Tsar family like mm -hmm. right before the Russian Revolution, which, if you didn't know, led to the creation of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. and spoiler the, alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Soviet Union happens in the end. Yeah, and the documentary has a kind of sympathetic eye mm -hmm. to, to the family. Mm. 
like oh they were they were victims of of genetic diseases and political intrigue and mm. making mis- just an honest mistake that the guards shot into civilians and completely ignores the fact that they yeah. were tyrannical anti-Semitic. Yeah, uh, I mean I feel like tyrants. the way they did die tragically. You know, I think it's not a it's not a good way to die. Oh god, um, you especially know, for seeing the kids. Your fa- you know, yeah, the, exactly. Because they also they shot the parents first, and the kids had to see that. You know, like yeah. it was. It was pretty awful, but the the show definitely does uh, make them make them seem a lot gentler and like sweeter, misunderstood. Yeah, in a sense. Speaking about the Romanovs, hemophilia obviously played a big role in the fall of the mm. dynasty. I mean, how so? <laughs> um, For people who may not know why. Yeah, well, I'm gonna get to that. But well, one thing that I want to say is that. You know, I'm not saying this is the only factor, and I think that you as a historian can will agree with me that, like, hemophilia probably contributed, but it wasn't the main reason. Mm. Like, 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 the, the fall Romanovs, of the Romanov yeah. dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it was it was a long time coming, right? Oh, like the fall of the, yeah. the empire and the dynasty? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the political, like, situation in Imperial Russia... Mm-hmm. by the early 1900s was so chaotic and hostile. Yeah, and Nicholas, no matter... Nicholas was not a good Tsar. Uh, no, God, no. So, like, the, um, the whole thing with, like, Rasputin, which I think you're going to mention. Yeah. I, I, hemophilia. Of course I'm going to talk about Rasputin. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Hemoph- Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and, like, and the hemophilia of, of the air and yeah. the, the drama there. That probably contributed mm-hmm. because if, if the leaders of a nation are dealing with some stuff that's probably going to affect the political direction of the country. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like Vladimir Lenin, he didn't care about the hemophilia or Rasputin. He, he had other plans and those plans were going to happen eventually, yeah. no matter what. Yeah, exactly. So hemophilia, what is it? Well, it's a mostly inherited genetic disorder that, as you might know, it impairs the body's ability to produce certain clotting factors that help with clotting with blood Mm. clotting so when somebody lacks these clotting factors there's a high risk of spontaneous and excessive bleeding and there's also an increased risk of bleeding inside the joints and the brain oh god which is a really bad thing oh god because i knew hemophilia i was like oh yeah you you bleed you just if you cut yourself you then you bleed and you might bleed spontaneously i had no idea it would bleed in the joints and the brain yeah so so the brain the brain is really bad because you you know you can get brain damage you can get just you can just die from it my gut feeling says that you don't want to bleed in the brain no i mean i'm not a scientist (laughs) like i'm a historian but i feel like brain bleeding is like generally a bad thing as a scientist, I agree with you. Mm. Um, I'm glad we can it's, have it's scientific also, consensus on this point. It's also chronically painful. And mm. this is caused by the joint bleeds. Because the repeated bleeding into the joint actually breaks down the joint lining and causes damage. Which eventually causes a very painful arthritic condition known as hemophilic arthropathy. So not only are you in chronic pain, you also often become disabled mm. you become unable to walk yeah. so it's it's really an awful condition and it's you know it's not just characterized by like oh little bruise here and there mm. painful and yeah horrible. it's, it's like painful and of, debilitating a lot of people who have it don't live that long right especially in those days now i'm i'm guessing there are probably yeah there's there are treatments for it these but, days but in those days like a hundred years ago there like if even the the imperial family of russia had a hard time getting to yeah, fix it, then so I'm guessing there wasn't really a way to to deal with it. I think I remember stumbling upon some um uh like some diary excerpts from Alexei 
um, Alexei was the son of the emperor. Oh, the um, guy with hemophilia. Yeah, exactly. Oh. The the boy with hemophilia. And even he, he, in the diary, was writing that, like, he knows he's not going to live very long. Oof. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty awful condition. So I wanted to, to talk just a tiny bit about the genetics of hemophilia. And before I start is... I want to say one thing is that this conversation concerns genetics and I'm going to be as inclusive as I can. But, you know, when you read about this, a lot of people um, refer to XY people as men and XX people as women. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to try to not do that. Science is transphobic as hell is what you're saying. (laughs) I'm a trans woman. Dear viewer, if you don't know, I'm a trans woman. Trans woman. So this science is, is bad. Yeah. I'm going to throw it out. It's bad. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it kind of sucked. There... It kind of sucked a little bit to to read mm. these um these texts and just see like woman, man, man, woman. Well, I mean, they're they're oversimplifying a little bit. I'm guessing. Yeah. Like for for uh for the sake of genetics purely, they're using shorthand. I just wish there was an up. elegant way to to um to refer to it. And uh, that wasn't like exclusive. Yeah. But you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say cis men and cis women, if that's okay. Remember like AFAB or AMAB? AMAB people. I don't think because that's not not everybody likes that, right? Yeah, but I'm just thinking like I think cis men and cis women. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say people who are assigned female at birth carry two X. People assigned male at birth carry one X one Y. And then I'm gonna say cis people, cis men, cis women. Okay. But I think that if we have this little like preamble yeah. i think that also kind of like covers the fact yeah. that you you know there is a certain like um just inelegance in this conversation yeah. because scientists don't really focus a lot on like being trans inclusive in their speech because that's not mm. you know i'm guessing that's not very high on, on the priority of, gen- of genetics labs unfortunately mm-hmm. um there is a certain inelegance here that we're talking mm. about like male and female genetics mm. um but, so we're going to use like a bit of a shorthand to talk about like cis cis women as XX mm-hmm. and cis men as XY. Yeah. Obviously, Obviously trans people bit, have chromosomes it's... as well, but we, we have to we have to do something. Otherwise, it's going to be super clunky the entire episode. Yeah. So hemophilia B is actually the subtype of hemophilia, which affected the royal families of Europe. It is an X-linked recessive disorder. So as we all know, uh, people who are assigned female at birth carry two X chromosomes, and those assigned male at birth carry one X and one Y chromosome. So usually the cis women who are carriers of hemophilia are not affected by the disease because they have a second X chromosome, which carries a functional gene. Mm-hmm. Um, however, cis men, since they only carry one X chromosome, they cannot inherit mm-hmm. a second one which will give them the gene necessary for the production of the clotting factor. So while women can be carriers but not express the disease, if a cis man is a carrier, um, they have it. They, he will express mm. the disease. And it is a recessive gene, right? Because if mm-hmm. you do have two of them, the, the, the dominant one will like exactly. crush and that's, that's the what recessive ha- hemophilia thing. Right, so that's what happens mm. with uh, cis women who mm. carry it. Obviously, it can happen that a woman has both recessive genes. If she has like a carrier mother and an affected father, mm. it is possible for her to inherit both copies of the recessive gene. But that doesn't happen really it's often because, rare. I mean, people are just a bit more aware of genetic conditions these days. Mm. So I think that if uh, you know, if it were to happen that a 
a cis man with the condition were to marry like a woman who knows that the illness runs in the family, they would probably they'd probably be like not, be aware. Yeah, be aware, maybe not take the chance, or probably just conduct like genetic testing ahead yeah. of the birth. Anyway, so this is what happened with the Romanov family. This condition of hemophilia, which in the end contributed to the fall of a dynasty. And it all started with Queen Victoria, who it is thought that she probably developed the condition as a result of a spontaneous mutation. So um, it's this condition is most likely inherited. Like, usually it is inherited, but it has to start somewhere, right? And usually mm -hmm. it starts with the mutation. So it was due to inbreeding that this recessive condition was preserved in the royal family throughout generations. Because, you know, if you if you have kids with outsiders because this is a recessive condition, it's likely that it will get bred out almost. But if you keep marrying your cousins, you're really allowing this condition to persist. It all started with Queen Victoria and it was actually, I mean, she had, I don't remember exactly how many kids she had, but she had a bunch of kids oh, and they ton. all, and they all spread hemophilia throughout the royal families of Europe. <laughs> yeah. It was like a plague that just spread. And also just like dashing good looks. If you look at, <laughs> if you like in World War One, for example, the, the, the Tsar of Russia, the Emperor of, like the, the, the King of England mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. Emperor of Germany, mm -hmm. like they're all cousins, first mm -hmm. of all, and they all look identical. If you oh, look yeah? at a photo, they look identical. It's really hard to, to I haven't see seen, the I haven't seen pics, but I, but I have seen pics of the Romanov family and they are handsome. Some good, handsome? Handsome. Good looking. Uh, Is that weird to say about the Romanovs? I mean, we'll s oh, the Romanovs. The Romanovs. Oh, I thought you said Habsburgs. No. Oh, they're not handsome. We'll get to them later. They're very, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're pretty. So Victoria's granddaughter, Princess Alex, she became the Empress of Russia. So she married Nicholas II, and she produced five children, four girls, and eventually a boy. Uh, the boy was named Alexei, and he was the one who actually inherited the condition. So his condition was actually kept a state secret. And he, he unfortunately, he had a really severe case. It was so severe that any foul bruise or nosebleed could become fatal. He was actually assigned two Navy, Navy sailors who were supposed to monitor and prevent him from becoming injured. And like I said, because the condition was so painful, sometimes he could not walk. Mm. And so that meant that the two sailors had to carry him around, which is really unfortunate, but also kind of, kind of cool. Can you imagine though the pressure on being one of those sailors? Because you're <laughs> yeah. carrying around the, like, the, the, soul, the, the soul heir of the Romanov dynasty. Like, dynasty yeah. that has ruled Russia for 300 years. Yeah. Like, if you if you drop that kid, you're you're off to Siberia for life. If 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 you're lucky. I don't yeah, I think you just, <laughs> just get you just get shot in the head like on the spot. What a what a life. Good pay though, I guess. You gotta get good paid if you're if you're taking care of the kid. I don't know. They'd pay yeah, You're yeah. the historian. I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they pay them well. They pet him poorly, that's but yeah, there, that there was a lot of pressure also because he was the only male heir mm. and he was the only one able to inherit the throne. So he was the only male heir and he had hemophilia. And I know that it was really hard for them to actually get a boy. I think I had... Princess Princess Alex was had trouble getting pregnant and then it was just girl after girl after girl after girl. Like mm. they were desperate and then the only boy gets hemophilia. Like it's, mm. it's a bit of a doozy. Romano family generally, a lot of girls. Yeah. But so he, so Alexei had a number of accidents, um, small, tiny accidents. But when you're a hemophiliac, those easily develop into life-threatening events. Mm. And this is where Rasputin 
enters the scene. Ra ra Rasputin. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he was this peasant healer from Siberia, who actually he he was actually introduced to court earlier. But as you may or may not know, he led a very hedonistic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I uh, are we gonna mention his uh, no. his view on sinning? Oh, um, I wasn't thinking to to do that, but you're welcome to. I'm just thinking, so we really impress on on our listeners just how hedonistic he was. Because mm-hmm. he, he, he had an opinion that the more you sin, mm-hmm. the more holy you are. Yeah, like you can't... Because Jesus died for your sins, right? So mm-hmm. you used to sin, sin You have to make it worth his time. To sign. make it worth. <laughs> yeah, that was basically... If his... you don't live a sinful life, Jesus died for nothing. Yeah, that was basically his... Uh, the, the way he was thinking about mm-hmm. it. Like, that you have to sin in order to be forgiven. Yeah. So he had drug-fueled orgies... Not a joke. Not yeah. an exaggeration. Yeah, he um, he also had a lot of affairs with pretty much the whole court. Allegedly. Um, a lot of the time also confirmed. But like some of them are also alleged. Okay. Who am I protecting by saying Who this? Who are you protecting? Are you protecting Rasputin? I'm, on, I'm under... Uh, <laughs> Whose side are you on? Listen, I'm, I'm, I've signed an NDA with half of the Russian court. <laughs> I can't say. I'm under lawsuit currently by the, by the family of Rasputin. I wonder if he's he, being sued. I wonder if any of his descendants are alive. I mean, he probably had a lot of descendants. That's like half right? of Russia at That's this true. point. Of but I mean, he also had a wife that he had like legitimate kids with that probably that like knew that he was their dad. So I just wonder if they're still around. Can we call them? I have a guest on the podcast. But so, so he was this peasant healer from Siberia and he had been introduced to the court a few times already, but he made a pretty bad impression. So, and he got um, politely asked to leave. He had to go back to Siberia. However, <laughs> he turned up to court just like, Could, you're, you're dirty. You're nasty. You're smelly. Can you leave, please? You're like, you're, bu- you're, you're buzzkill. But so he, he was the only one who actually seemed to be able to stabilize Alexei's condition. And so the empress, despite being being highly religious, regarding him very... Um, very highly. And then, you know, it's it's really interesting to think about what actually... What what was that he actually did to stabilize Alexei's condition? Mm. Um, Do we know at all? Well, there's theories. Um, one theory is that he, he uh, used hypnotism on him. As another one is that he actually... Which is, which is one that I think is actually very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, a theory says that he timed his interventions when the boy was already on the mend. Mm. Um, because he, he, was, he was a very charismatic man. He had a lot of friends. He had a lot of connections mm. at court. Um, and he was actually very good friends with the Empress's lady-in-waiting. Um, so he, he was always in the know about mm. the things going on at the church. At the, at the um, at court, I'm sorry. Um, and then there's another theory that claimed that his power lay in his gal- calm and gentle strength and shining warm of conviction. Or we're saying that he had himbo vibes. No, he definitely did not have... By his large, kind himbo vibes, he <laughs> soothed Alexei. So what I want to say is that I think he actually soothed the Empress more. Because there was so much pressure on her to keep this heir alive that I think that this Empress was like... Because it was also her responsibility to deliver yep. an heir. That's so her if, job. That's, that's her, her job. One that's job. her one job that she has. So if the kid dies... Yeah, she messed up. She messed up. Um, so I think that this theory actually makes a lot of sense. That he was just very calming on the Empress. And mm-hmm. then the Empress 
not being anxious anymore would help like the kid feel yeah. better yeah because if your mom is having a panic attack then you're not then you're gonna be a bit stressed which you're is probably not stressed. gonna help you exactly be on the mend. so he was just a bit like a little bit of a scam artist maybe i he didn't, he, in that case he didn't actually do anything he just like said that he was doing something that calmed it down and that actually did something like a bit of placebo effect a bit of sure yeah so another theory that actually makes a lot of sense to me is that he he actually hated the doctors. He hated the doctors at the court because I, I guess he, he really wanted to have like a monopoly mm-hmm. on the treatment of the boy. Yeah. So he, he halted the administration of aspirin. Aspirin was very new and it was very exciting and it was prescribed very liberally at the court. However, aspirin has blood thinning properties mm, I was about to say, yeah. and prevents clotting. So... Maybe by not allowing the empress to let the doctors around the boy, he actually made him feel better just because he wasn't getting any more aspirin. Yeah. So he, um, by being the scam artist, he accidentally gives them yeah. a placebo that works and yeah. prevents them from giving him like harming yeah, so, medication. So he accidentally like works. Yeah. He probably, because I'm guessing, like, I'm, I'm guessing he didn't actually like know what he was doing. Probably not. But. That's so interesting. I, I know no it's, it's kind of like a mix of things, right? Yeah. Um, very, very like a bunch of like lucky accidents for him. That's ex- that ex- explains a lot because I've always wondered like how, mm. like how how did he get away with this? Because obviously, I always thought that like obviously he's scamming, but this actually makes a lot of sense. Mm. So as we know, the royal family was arrested following the February Revolution in 1917, mm-hmm. uh, which resulted in Nicholas's abdication. Um, they were imprisoned by the Bolsheviks and murdered in July 1918. Well, there's, so, there's a whole, there's another revolution in there. The February Revolution happens, they're imprisoned. Yeah, half, there's, half there's a, a bit goes, of back and forth. The, the Bolsheviks yeah. take power yeah. and suddenly the, the royal family is like, oh, we maybe should have tried to leave earlier before the communists got in power. Well, this episode is about genetic diseases, not the well, I just revolution. Want, I just don't want to give the impression it's to our true. listeners that there was one revolution. It's there true. were two revolutions. The November Revolution in... Wait, no, the October Revolution in November. Or yeah. the other way around. I don't remember. No, it's it's good you're here um, to correct me because I'm, I'm, I'm not a historian. So I was actually hoping to have this a bit as a like a discussion since you're the in-house historian. Uh, what's your what's your opinion on like the the contribution of hemophilia? Well, I mean it's a bit hard to judge. On one hand, on one hand the February Revolution was like it was coming one way or another. Yeah. The, the social unrest in Russia is, is is very hard to imagine today. It was very intense, um, and even even though like the czar's secret police had like arrested basically any like revolutionary leader. The revolutions came anyway, just because so many people were fed up with how things were because of the war and because of lack of food, because of like terror, terroristic repression. So the revolution was coming anyway. But on the other hand, because of the the secrecy at court, because of Rasputin's influence, because of the tensions between various noble members... You know, it leads it leads people to make bad decisions up top, and leads people to dismiss, like governors and politicians that may be more competent, yeah, than than their replacements. Yeah, that's and, something uh, that's something that I didn't really mention is that um, it's like hemophilia is part of it, but it also had like the indirect um, effect on the court because mm. like Rasputin got so much power in yeah. the court and he, he and they couldn't had a say lot of that they couldn't tell anyone that he had no, why because, he was there 
either. Like mm. everyone, everyone at court was basically seeing that why is Rasputin here? Because mm. they didn't know that Alexei had hemophilia. Yeah, and I mean em- the Empress wouldn't have heard any of it anyway because he Rasputin was the only person that could actually help with the son. Yeah, exactly. So um, no matter what controversy, and she was, I mean, and she was desperate. Uh, like I said, if the if the kid died. That was that was it. I also I keep referring to to it. <laughs> no no no. I keep re- referring to Alexei as the kid, like some the kid. kid, just some kid, <laughs> just the the sole heir of yeah. the Romanov dynasty. But then again, you know, we can't really say that hemophilia contributed to the end of the dynasty because in mm. the end he he didn't die of hemophilia. Mm. He he died because one of the various Soviets in in the Union of Soviets uh, decided to yeah to kill him. Maybe on Lenin's orders. Maybe not. We don't know. No, but let's let's put it this way. It definitely contributed to instability at court. Oh, yeah. And it made a precarious situation worse. It didn't help. No, absolutely not. So we talked about the Romanov family. We talked about how um, part partial inbreeding a few generations back ha- has led to potentially the rise of communism in Eastern Europe. Snowball effect, b- big domino effect of Queen Victoria marries one specific person and now the Soviet Union exists. <laughs> so we can blame Queen Victoria for, for the Cold War. But I want to talk about another royal family. Mm-hmm. Because when we're talking about genetic diseases, and when we're talking about inbreeding as the cause of those genetic diseases, there's no family that's better at this than the Habsburg family. I've never seen you grin so so wide. I wanted to talk about them for so long. (laughs) Like, people know they were inbred, but I want to dig into that inbreeding. Or, or is uh, is is it Char- it's Charles, right? They were going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the family, the family, and I'm going to get to Charles. But, but the jaw guy is Charles. Is he your favorite? We'll talk. Family? We'll talk about the jaw. Okay. We'll talk about the jaws. We'll get there. So the Habsburg family, maybe the most infamous family in the history of nobility, generally. I mean, they controlled many parts of Europe. They were um, maybe they were infamous because of their ancestral relations, but also because of their power. The Habsburgs were very strategic in their marriages, often securing a lot of wealth, status, and titles for themselves by marrying very well. And also, it's a very big family, so they did a lot of marrying. The Habsburgs managed, over the course of their history, to to secure the thrones over Spain, Portugal, Austria, the Holy Roman Empire, and even, for a very short amount of time, the throne of Mexico. For the very short amount of time that Mexico was an empire. And they were a very influential family. They're still around, by the way. Did you know? The current heir to the Habsburgs are is a Formula One race driver. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And I think Does the he cur- have the jaw? No. And I'll get to why. I'll get to why actually That's why they a don't. Shame. I'll get to why though. It's a good question. Uh, they're all still very rich as heck, because it turns out that being ousted as monarchs for, from half of Europe doesn't actually take your money away. Uh, they're so rich. However, cousin marriages weren't super uncommon among noble families, as we talked about. Queen Victoria got in on it. The Romanovs got in on it. Like, a lot of families got in on it. That's not actually that uncommon. And if you're not doing it too much, it's not actually that bad genetically. Like, it's not great, but you're not gonna produce what the what the Habsburgs produce. <laughs> I'm being so mean. Um, basically, every single Ro- Ro- royal family did it because you want to consolidate power 
and there aren't infinite amounts of royal families in Europe, so there's not a lot of options to go on, so you're gonna marry like your third cousin, your second cousin on occasion, but the Habsburg did it more than any other family. But it wasn't, but hold on, one thing that I wanted to say is that obviously it had a practical um, reason Mm -hmm. behind it, but they also just generally believed that their blood was better. Oh yeah, they they, generally believed believed that, that, you know, as a royal, you are just better than commoners yeah. and so you have to keep it in the family so that your blood doesn't get soiled yeah um, there's also an idea uh that because they have better blood they are more immune to these genetic mm. like diseases like mm. yes peasants if if they stay in the village for generations and generations they're gonna produce bad blood mm-hmm. but we we're nobles we're gonna be we're gonna be we're, just we're, fine. We're fine. Genetics so apply. We have us. strong blood, <laughs> strong jaws, <laughs> <laughs> strong jaws. We'll get to it. Um, in the 15th century, the House of Habsburg. This is before they really got into the incest. It split between the dominant Spanish line because they've already secured the throne of Spain, and the junior Austrian line of the house. And I'm going to talk about the Spanish branch because it was the main branch, the biggest branch of the of the house, and it's the one that got nose deep into the old incest train. In fact, nine out of the 11 total marriages that occurred among them during the 184 years that they ruled Spain, uh, from 1516 to 1700, were incestuous of some nature. So, nine out of 11. Yeah, like... Keeping it in the family. Like we said, you know, European nobles were were the best of the best at incest. <laughs> they were doing it super well. And this is the family that's the champions in Europe mm. too. Oh yeah, the Olympics of incest. The The Spanish line ends in 1700 uh, with, Char- which, with uh, Charles II, which is the lad. And mm-hmm. I'll get into him oh, in God. a bit later. I, want, I wonder why he was the worst. Oh, well, I'll talk about oh, that. Yeah. Don't okay. worry about that. Um, but first, I want to talk about his family tree. We're talking about incest here. I need you to get... The scale. I want to impress on you, the viewer, and you, Raluca, on the scale of incest here. And I've, I've tried. I'm thinking maybe I should post like a picture of this on the Patreon page, on Twitter, so you can see that his um, that his family tree is basically a circle. <laughs> While there was no brother and sister incest, that doesn't actually matter over a long period of time. What matters, right, is shared is shared genetic material. Um, I got instinct here is that cousin marriages are more diverse, mm-hmm. but over several generations, doesn't work out. Yeah, it kind of adds up. Like if if there's only one um, couple that consists of cousins, it's fine. But if you just keep doing it over and mm-hmm. over again, that um, you know creates like a cumulative uh, effect. Yeah. So the family tree of Charles mm-hmm. begins in the 15th century between Philip I and Joanna of Castile. Mm-hmm. We have we start with two people. They had three children, and they all married other nobles of other noble families. Good so far. No incest. The next generation, there's a one-cousin marriage between the kids. Between the, the kids of, 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 of that new generation. Mm-hmm. Okay, one-cousin <laughs> marriage. We're, we're doing great. The, ne- the generation after that, we have a mar- two marriages between an uncle and a niece. So... Some of the kids of, of, of the first generation married the kids of their siblings in the second generation. Another marriage, um, one, and one marriage in the same generation is between cousins, but twice removed. So it's not that bad. But we are getting some incest here. Mm-hmm. We're getting, we're getting uh, uncles and nieces mm. getting, getting involved. Next generation. 
cousin marriages between all three branches of the family. Remember how he, they had three kids mm-hmm. in the first one? Mm-hmm. They're all, all of them now, cousin, cousin marriages between all of them. Next generation, another cousin marriage. Another generation, we have another uncle-niece marriage. So these generations aren't like perfectly split. And this goes from, from two people to like to like six mm-hmm. and then it starts going like down to four down to two oh, again no. and now back to to charles ah. so they got in some new genetic material from those first three kids who married like different people and then it became more that's, cousins and cousins that's and a cousins. little cor- horrifying which means that charles here has basically the same amount of genetic material as if he um his parents were brother and sister yeah or like, um, and and those also had genetic shared genetic material from from their parents. So this, um, yeah, this child it, that doesn't sound good. You doesn't know, sound I haven't I haven't run the numbers, but just by listening to you describe mm-hmm. it, it does not sound good. The child of this whole circle, <laughs> and it really does look like a circle, uh, is Charles the Second, Emperor. Of, of Spain and of Spanish Empire, parts of Italy and the Spanish Netherlands. God, this is know, all of the land that he managed to inherit from all of from the new families that they kind of plucked he didn't, in. He didn't ask for this. I don't know. There's there's a oh, part of me... You're going to feel so bad for him in a second. I haven't even started. Yeah, like there's a part... I know, like I can see where this is going. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but there's a part of me it's that dark. just feels so bad for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't ask to be born. You'll feel this worse is, soon. This is like... So, this is a great way to consolidate power, mm-hmm. right? Because Charles II has a bunch of titles. Yeah. Like, like, again, he controls... Technically, he controls the Kingdom of Castile, the Kingdom of Aragon, the Kingdom of Naples, the Kingdom of Milan, and the Spanish Netherlands. And also, like, all of the colonial empires of Spain. Yep. So, that's quite a lot of land. But it's not that great, because when you end up marrying kids with each other, and um, and, and the kids of their kids with each other... Uh, you end up with not a lot of genetic diversity. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to some complications and most known, most famous of them all, the famous Habsburg jaw. If you don't know, if you look at old paintings of the Habsburg family, you can see that they have a protruding jaw. And do you know what? I'm guessing that in most of those paintings, they probably they probably tried to improve his appearance as oh, much yeah. as they could yeah. so what we see in paintings is probably like a, a much much like a very generous representation mm-hmm. of what he looked like if you don't know dear dear listener oh the habsburg family became known for a few unique facial features that existed among basically the entire family the spanish line specifically this includes uh, sharply jutting jaws bulbous lower lips and long noses most famous of which is the jaw and if you look at an portrait, you can see the, the jaw, like I mentioned. And there have been a few theories as to why the Habsburgs got this impressive jaw. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this horn, basically. Don't call it that. I'm being, That's so mean. I'm being so mean. Yeah. They conquered all of Europe, basically. I'm allowed to be mean towards them. I know, but there... It, One theory. One it thing. feels it feels wrong to be mean. Because we're making fun of his appearance. That's true. It's not cool. That's true. That's true. We, I, we shouldn't do that. But he also had a myriad of health problems yeah. that that came along with this. But one theory was that the jaw came from a dominant gene mm-hmm. uh, that was simply reinforced over the cousin marriages. Like if if the dominant gene is just 
never replaced by anything or doesn't go away, then it's just going to keep being there. This was one theory. Another theory was that it was a random collection of mutations that happened, but because they kept it in the family, it, that those mutations also didn't like go away. But that's they're they're still talking about like the, the fault here being incest, sort of like incest is involved here. But a recent study actually from two thousand and nineteen has concluded that the that the jaw was almost definitely the cause of incest. Mm-hmm. The jaw was maybe probably we don't have genetic material, so we don't know, but it was probably caused by a recessive gene that just kept developing. Remember how we talked about recessive genes earlier? This is one example where they, you know, they just didn't get in the material. So he had big jaw gene, mm-hmm. which I guess is a recessive gene. And with each generation, the jaw just kept growing because both sides of the sides of the merits which would carry the recessive gene for huge jaws, and it would go after generations of a generation. But of course, it's not just aesthetic changes that happen here, which leads me to uh, the extinction. Of the, of the Spanish family line. Mm. As I mentioned, the family line died out in 1700. The entire Spanish branch of the Habsburgs died out. They had no more heirs. Uh, and the Habsburg main title went to the Austrian branch. Which most people remember now. Uh, they were slightly less inbred. But nonetheless, they also died out in 1740. Due to lack of male heirs. Wait, so did, did uh, Charles... Because he married, right? He married, he, but he did but not he produce was, any heirs. He was, on a, he was infertile, probably. Which, uh, w- which brings me to the, the issue, like, why did they have issues making heirs? A, another study has found that inbreeding might be the cause of this as well. Inbreeding may have caused fertility to, to drop as much as 18%. 18? 18%. Um, That's not much. As the gene pool does, so, so does fertility, perhaps. It's a bit controversial, because we're not really sure that inbreeding causes, like, black infertility. No, we do know that. Well, we don't know that that was, that, that was the yeah. case here. Mm. Um, but they're guessing that that was probably yeah. the case, up to yeah. 18%. But 18% is quite a lot. Like, it's almost one-fifth. And also, fertility is, like, hard to do anyway. Like, people who are perfectly healthy, no inbreeding at all, they can also sometimes have issues with fertility. Uh, so it may have contributed to the extinction of the Habsburg line, but it probably didn't cause it. However... We do know a lot about the science of incest thanks to this family. Mm-hmm. Because we have paintings and we have diary entries and we have doctor's notes from every single birth in the Habsburg family because they were so rich and so wealthy. So from the 1500s up until the 18 up to till the 1700s, every single birth, every birth defect has been documented. So we know a lot about the effects of cousin marriages, long and the long-term effects of like repeated cousin marriages thanks to the Habsburgs. But I want to talk about Charles, mm, the ultimate product of this. I want to talk about what happens when you do all of this. I hyped him, I've hyped him up significantly. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about the most inbred Habsburg of them all. And you may think, you may think, dear viewer, the listener, that you know what I'm going to say, but you would be, um, you're probably going to know a little bit, but I have so much more. I, have, I found so much. The joy that you derive from this is... Oh. Is incredible. This is the this is a specimen of a man to behold. This man again was the most powerful man on earth when he lived. By the way, this is like Donald Trump or Barack Obama. Like this is someone that basically the whole Western world knew of. They mm. knew who this person was. Mm-hmm. He is the leader of the free of the well, like not the free world. This was the 1700s, but like he was the leader of the most powerful empire on earth at the time, and he had a very huge reputation. 
because he was so powerful, and also because they, were, they had they had a reputation of being inbred at this point. People knew this. They made they this was part of the rumor mill, and it so it should be said here that what I say here may or may not be true. We know that a lot of it is true, but some of it might be a bit of rumors from from gossip in the royal families mm-hmm. of, of Europe because people you know people make fun of Donald Trump, people make fun of uh, Joe Biden, uh, based on conspiracy theories today. People like uh, making stuff up about rich, uh, powerful people. Uh, one cited, one often cited example to show how his mental problems is the allegation that he slept with his father's body. Oh and, no! Uh, and I want to not sexually, uh, and I want to, and I want to mention this because it is true. He did do this, but it, but it's okay because it was under the direction of his mother. <laughs> because the doctor, oh, the doctors, was... the doctors had said that it would help him produce a male heir. The corpse of his father, by the way. Yeah, that's what I was... Okay, so for how 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 did that work? For how long after? Like, I'm guessing like his mummified corpse. Like his dried out husk. My god. Mm. The idea was that this would help him produce an heir. How, I do not know. I don't know the logic of these doctors. Well, there are a lot of superstitions, but... that I You're right, I did not expect that at you all. You did not expect <laughs> that, did you? Uh, beyond this... He had frequent health problems. Mm. He often had trouble breathing, doing yeah. any sort of physical exercise. He couldn't eat many things. And yeah, his... he was he was unable to chew, right? Like, because because I also to looked into probably, it. Yeah. I know, I know that. Like, I was just too impatient. <laughs> I had to look into this my, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, his jaw was so big mm-hmm. that his upper and lower lower jaw did not meet. Yeah, like he, so he, he couldn't could close chew. his mouth. Yeah. He couldn't close his mouth properly. Yeah, even uh, he couldn't close it entirely. So we're, we're talking about he like eat? he had a protruding jaw. We're talking like. Like, to the point of like, health problems. He could not take care of himself because of this jaw. So I wonder, how, what did he eat? I'm guessing soft foods. I mean, he's he's emperor of much of the world. I guess he, he could probably have people, like, chew food for him. Do you think Do you think they did that? Probably. I mean, they did weird things. It's, po- it's entirely possible. Wow. Um, he also had trouble drinking, and he didn't learn to, learn to speak until the age of four yeah. because of the jaw, because he had to learn to speak with the jaw. Yeah, and his tongue was really big too, right? His tongue was huge, yeah. and his, his lower lip was like also bulbous, is how it was described. I, it doesn't again, help with like, speaking. I know you think it's... We're not making fun of his appearance here. This is health problems. I this know, is like, but I just... I mean, this this is a painful existence. Like, this is the kind of person We that, haven't... We're gonna go into even more. I know. This um, poor man, though, like he I really, didn't ask I, for any of this. Exactly, like I, I really, I, I see the comedic, comedic factor, mm-hmm. but this is the kind of this is a definition of like existence of, is pain. Oh yeah, oh like he would, like this is not an existence we would wish on anyone. No, because he was in constant pain yeah. and suffering. Like this is, I feel bad for him. Yeah, sorry, sorry for being a bummer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good, but um, unfortunately, I'm going to keep going. Historians Will and Ariel Durant famously described him as short, lame, epileptic, senile, and completely bald before age 35. Uh, always, on the com- always on the verge of death, but repeatedly baffling Christendom by continuing to live. By the age of six, he had survived attacks of measles, chickenpox, rubella, and smallpox. Um, only one of which, uh, and any one of which was a potentially fading, fatal disease at the time. His Habsburg jaw was so uh, pronounced that he spoke poorly, and uh, it was Mariana, his mother, who insisted that he be carried everywhere until he was eight and left uneducated, alleged- allegedly to reduce the strain on his body and mind. 
So you hmm. didn't receive an education. He, yeah, that's he, that's what should... I that's what I saw as well. That mm. his family really they only wanted to keep him alive. So for titles, for titles. For so like his education, his like emotional mm. well being. It didn't no. matter that much. Like he just needed to be alive. He needed to be alive and produce an heir. Yeah, basically. Like he the the only reason he existed was to consolidate so many noble titles. Yeah, that is the only reason why. Why he why why he was born the way he was? He was born as a as a by design, by the way. Like people planned this out, like these marriages in order to consolidate titles. Like he they planned for this, and when he was born, like his like all people in his family and like people throughout the world, they were like, oh, I mean he he gets the title, but like he's not gonna last very long. Yeah, like this is. They didn't really see him as, like, the emperor that we will worship. He was, like, a puppet, almost. People around him would, like, run the country for him, and he would just exist, basically. I guess a lot of, uh, like, in a lot of royal families, people were kind of just breeding stock. Yeah. Um, yeah, to consolidate titles, to... What a sad existence. Yeah. However, even though he was prone to illness, he did spend a lot of time hunting, so... Hmm. He did spend time having fun. I wonder if he was good at it. I mean, he probably wasn't the most athletic. I don't know. <clears throat> he was in frequent pain, and he was often pale. And since he became king, it was basically expected that he, would, that he would die almost instantly. It was the talk of Europe when he was born. That like, oh, we need to start thinking about the inheritance of Spain immediately. Like, this is not something we have to think about in 80 years. This is something that's like, oh, now. Almost uh, immediately. One thing, you, one thing you actually forgot to mention is that he was fed by wet nurses until he was five or six years old. I'm not surprised. Yeah. And of course, eventually he does die. Uh, and his autopsy is probably the most famous thing about him now, unfortunately. And uh, it is a thing to read and I will read it to you <laughs> because I've been waiting for this since, I start, since we started this podcast. The records show that his body did not contain a single drop of blood. His heart was the size of a peppercorn his lungs corroded, his intestines rotten and gangrenous. He had a single testicle, black as coal. What happened to the second one? <laughs> and his head was full of water. Which are indicative of hydrocephalus, a disease often associated with childhood measles, one of the many illnesses suffered by Charles. So one of the big problems of his life was just that he like exposed a lot of illnesses. So there's a theory that says a lot of his health problems had no has nothing to do with his incest. That if he hadn't been exposed to so many childhood illnesses and just been unlucky as a child, basically, he would have grown up to be a fully functioning, slightly inbred with a big jaw, like the jaw is incest. <laughs> but uh, everything else... I actually looked a bit into it um, because I was really curious of what made him what he was. Mm -hmm. And there was at least two genetic conditions mm -hmm. that it is believed mm -hmm. that he had. One of them is pituitary hormone deficiency. Oh. And the other one is distal renal tube tubular acidosis. Do you want to know a fun fact? About? About the Habsburgs. Yes. I love the Habsburgs. And their um, messed up genetics. So I was reading an article about inbreeding in the Habsburg family. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember who, but there was there were some researchers who computed the inbreeding coefficient coefficient mm -hmm. in the in the family. Mm. I read um, this I read about this too, yeah. Yeah. And so they they calculated this coefficient by taking into account like more than three thousand individuals. And so uh starting with King Philip the first, mm -hmm. uh, who had an inbreeding coefficient of 2.5, Charles II had a 25 
inbreeding coefficient, mm-hmm. like a 25%. And I, I mean, obviously, this, these are just numbers. They don't say mm-hmm. a lot, but we know that like... What does that mean? Yeah, so an acceptable inbreeding coefficient is about 5%. <laughs> After five, you start having issues, and he had it like twenty five percent. Like I said, like his his family line is a circle. Yeah, inte bra. Inte bra. <laughs> we shouldn't speak Swedish though. No. And that's my part of the housework. Uh, very nice. We learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about famous people. Yeah. So I I wanted to talk about Tutan. I practice it. Tutankhamun. I practice it so mm-hmm. many times, and I still got it wrong. So I wanted to talk about Tutankhamun. Um, so he was a pharaoh that reigned during Egypt's New Kingdom era. Mm-hmm. That was around three thousand years ago. King Tut, by the way. King Tut. Yeah, I'm gonna say King Tut because it's a lot. It's a lot easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ascended to the throne at age nine but only reigned for about 10 years before dying uh, from what is known, what is what is thought to have been an infection uh, caused by a broken leg or by a chariot accident. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that's real funny to me. Chariot accident, I feel like it's a like leading a mo- cause of accident in those days. It's 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 almost like the like a motorcycle accident at the time. Yeah. Like he was a 19-year-old king, you know, it's... He's running around in his chariot. He's like, he was like the rich... Hanging, hanging around at the hay station and uh, yeah. hitting in all the girls. He was like the rich kid at the time, you know, with his motorcycle. His, like, you know, his drugs. <laughs> chariot. Yeah. But anyway, he got in a chariot accident and uh, broke his leg and um, got an infection and died. <laughs> um, like a cuck. F. What? <laughs> yeah, big... Uh, I mean, major F. Major F. Major F. Big L. Um, on the the part of the pharaoh oh my god but so you know how usually he's depicted as this like golden sun god yeah it's not really an accurate representation of what king tut actually looked like Mm -hmm. he was very frail he was very short he was very weak his left foot was club-footed and his right was flat due to hypophalangism he needed a cane to walk Um, short king yeah he was a short king. And I mean, his feet were, were so messed up. Like, mm-hmm. he, he could not walk. In addition, he had a partially cleft hard palace and a mild case of scoliosis. His parents were brother and sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full on. Like, you oh, know, yeah. this isn't even a matter of, like, cousins or, you know, like, uncles and mm. nieces. No, they were they were straight siblings. Very common in uh, ancient uh, Egyptian history. Yeah, in ancient um, Egypt and Greece. Mm-hmm. So King Tut himself eventually married his half-sister um, named Ankesenamun. Ankesenamun. You're doing great here with ancient Egyptian. Honestly, I, I, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Ankes- if anyone here speaks ancient Egyptian... You know, I, I I looked it up on on YouTube. I tried to like see the the proper pronunciation. I want to make an effort. Yeah. Do we even know how they would pronounce it? Like an improper. Um, I'm not I don't. Sure. I don't think so because we don't really know how hieroglyphs were were pronounced. I think. No. Interesting. But so his so he his parents were brother and sister, and then him himself he himself he married his half sister. He had two stillborn daughters, which I'm. You know, I'm thinking that maybe the reason why they were stillborn was because they were a product of inbreeding. Might be. Um, Might also just be bad luck. Maybe. So they were buried in in his tomb alongside him and his wife. 
Um, but their family, like you said, they were not the only ones to develop out of incestuous relationships. Um, incest was very common in um, in many noble families in ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. Mm. I have a fun fact here. It's not directly related to inbreeding, but it is it is a fu- it is a fact about his his dad. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you the mm-hmm. fact? So his dad, uh, King Tut's father, Achenaten. Achenaten. Do you know? Do you know his name? I think I know his name. Achenaten. Is it Achenaten? Achenaten. So he 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 was often depicted as having uh, breasts, wide hips, a pot belly. So it it was commonly believed that he had gynecomastia, um, which is an excess of estrogen. Mm -hmm. Um, Femboy king. Femboy king. (laughs) However. Following a medical analysis of the body, it was concluded that he actually did not have the condition. Um, and actually, the feminized features were done for religious purposes. Um, yeah, so, they had a lot of... The, yeah, ancient but, religious, but listen yeah. listen to this. His appearance was meant to suggest an association between him and Aten, the original creator god in Egyptian theology, who is neither male nor female. Yeah. I I mean, I, you probably know know about this, mm-hmm. but I um, I think it's really cool. It's real, it is really cool. Yeah. A lot of... Um... A lot of like religions around those days have a lot of like gender fluidity in yeah. in terms of their like god godhood. Reject which, which reject some... modernity. <laughs> Return to tradition. It did also lead sometimes. Like I, I know that some logic that people would use is is if you have brother and sister mm-hmm. and they marry mm-hmm. because because they are of the same family, their child will be a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Like, they will have elements of both the male and the feminine, mm. which is also seen as more divine, but is that's, also that's more incestuous. We- that's a weird theory. I haven't heard that one, but it, that's interesting. It's, it's not... It, it happens in some... In like, it has happened occasionally in some religions, because mm-hmm. the idea is that, like, if, 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 if they're from different families, then anything can happen, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. mixing blood and everything. But if it's the same blood, and it's a male and a female, then they can combine if, it's their, if they're pure enough of blood. And usually they're not. Usually they just become like. Do you know? Okay, so so I want to say something. Genetically like, deficient. Obviously, I love science, but <laughs> science what, is great. But science is great. I love it. But of what I also love is how, in the absence of science, people were so creative. <laughs> well, it is a form of science. Like they're 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 figuring stuff out. A large part of science is getting things wrong. You mm-hmm. gotta admit that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, they got a lot of things wrong. Yeah, and, but they didn't and they have... Fi- and they figured out they didn't... over time that, oh, we shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they didn't really base that belief on anything. They just kind of thought it sounded nice. And they just sort of held that belief for a while without... I, I honestly think this is way more scientific than what the Greeks did, like, a couple of thousand years after. Because the Greeks, they just thought about it. They never even did it. Okay. Well... At least they tried. At least they did did some breeding. And see what happened. Okay, Mia, we have to talk about incest today. Let's move on. <laughs> You're saying the ancient Greeks are cucks and they never did anything. Okay, Mia, we have to talk about incest. We have to talk about modern incest. Modern incest? Yeah. In the modern day? In the modern day. Okay. 
So do you do you know anything about the legality of incest today? Well, it depends. Like we as we mentioned earlier, first cousin marriages mm-hmm. are legal mm-hmm. in most of the world. Um and then it varies wildly from country to country mm-hmm. when it comes to like incestuous sexual acts between close mem- close members of of similar families. It really I- it really does vary. Like there isn't Like there is a few things that this, that mo- most people agree on, but it feels like we haven't really reached a consensus on what is okay. Mm. So there's a factor called the R factor, which is what is often used when discussing legality on incest, and it is the percentage of DNA uh, shared. So usually the laws that prohibit incestuous relationships concern um, relationships where R is 25% or higher mm-hmm. and that's usually in the case of like parent-child relationship or like full sibling relationships mm-hmm. or like aunt to uh, like, yeah, yeah like uncle uncle yeah exactly uh, yeah uh, first cousins and also free fourth cousins which I didn't mm-hmm. know there was a thing do you know what that is it's like cousin sibling I know um, that you can be double like I know that you can be like double first cousin mm-hmm. where due to some genetic weird makery you can you can be first cousin with someone despite them being like f- way further removed from the gene pool but because hmm. you have like similar genetic makeups you can still like technically have 25% of the same thing mm. and also modern incest laws sometimes prohibit unions between biologically unrelated uh, individuals if there's a close legal relationship yeah like in the case of adopted or step relations mm. Um stepbrother no. <laughs> I'm stuck in the laundry machine stepbrother no. I will not participate in this. Um anyway, so there is countries where it's legal, but it only concerns consenting adults. So for example, Belgium, Brazil, Japan, it's all legal. You can if, you know, if, if it's between consenting adults. If it's between consenting adults. Which makes sense. All, like, yeah. Obviously like parent child thing, there's a whole like power dynamic there which is like Oof. But if everyone's over 18, and if it's fully consensual, mm. but like between siblings, mm. who's to say? Yeah. Only I'm God just wonder- can judge. So, so I'm just wondering about like the power dynamic. Like, is it, do you think it's like, in your opinion, obviously this is a subjective opinion. Yeah. But like, if, if um, what do you think about relationships between like a, like an adult child and their parent? Well, I mean, because I feel like that's where I would draw the line, but at the same time, they're consenting adults. If they're consenting adults, like I don't think I can object. Really, I think it's I wouldn't do it. Mm. Is what I'm saying. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't mm. recommend anyone mm. to do it. Mm. Uh, and I think that it would be. I think I think it's like dicey a mm-hmm. lot of the time, mm-hmm. but I don't think that the law can like prevent. Yeah, it. it's not like, the kind of thing that you can like prohibit by law. Yeah, I it think feels... I think the law prohibiting it would be a bad thing. Yeah, like I like if, if you're over eighteen. Yeah, you can you can boink whoever you want. Like yeah, I, I yeah, don't it's, think the, the law it's the kind can of thing where either. it's like it's kind of weird, but like I'm not gonna tell you not to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I I wouldn't do it, but I don't want. The law to stop you although yeah. like in some countries the law will try to stop you yeah in some countries it's even like life in prison even, oh yeah even some states in america oh, have oh, life in prison sure, for sure which i think is weird because like if two i also if think two siblings weird. who are just like if they're fully grown if they're consenting only god can judge them <laughs> um they're naked before god and everyone can i tell you something fun 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 about incest yeah This is going to get us cancelled on Twitter, you know that, right? 
I hope not. So in Italy, incest is illegal only if it causes public scandal. <laughs> How do you judge that? I feel like if any culture in the world had, I don't know. Had I guess if people for... if people complain, you know, if 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 people make enough noise about it, then whoever's in charge can be like, okay, enough. You've had your fun. People don't like it. Stop it. I feel like if any country in the world has a scale for public outrage, it's probably Italy. I feel like they are the mm. ones who have had a large amount of legal precedent to judge what cause what constitutes a scandal. Yeah. Like if someone you you drank too much coffee, drank too much spaghetti. <laughs> you make it that big a pizza. Are you done with the Italian accent? <laughs> if they if they didn't want to be made fun of, they shouldn't have invented fascism, is what I'm saying. Uh, something else interesting is that in Ireland, it is legal for same-sex couples to be incestuous, but illegal for opposite-sex couples. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't... I wonder why. Because they can't produce children. Is that the argument? That, like, uh, because of, like, the I mean, offspring that's, argument? That's my best that, I mean, guess. That's my best guess. I mean, but at the same time, we have genetic testing now. But I'm also thinking just, like, you know, Ireland has a lot of... St- like has a lot of like old very catholic conservative re- remnants they're getting better you know mm-hmm. they recently got adoption good for them and saved <laughs> sex marriage before another island ha and so you know they're they're getting they're catching up like very quickly to progressive values which i'm i'm all for but i'm thinking like this is maybe some sort of like leftover from from a very like conservative traditional catholic point of like incest is bad but because because as you say they can't produce offspring then they will be like oh well that's fine then because they won't that's bad for other reasons but we can't outlaw homosexuality so but you know the birth argument there is probably the one that goes Mm -hmm. how interesting yeah i thought it was really cool it's probably going to change fairly soon i feel like ireland i feel like i see news every week now that ireland is like changing some law for one thing or another interesting we'll see what happens but just to um just to sort of finish off here i i think like the the closest the world has come to an agreement is that incest is legal as long as it doesn't involve lineal ancestors mm-hmm. and full siblings mm-hmm. um which is the case in like canada denmark sweden you know they can't they they accept it on on conditions mm. i'm um, also thinking that it's hard to enforce anyway Especially between consenting adults, because I'm thinking like two sisters, or like two siblings in Sweden, for example, where it's like, it's not that great. Who's gonna? Who who's gonna? I mean, I guess somebody has to tell on you. Yeah, and that and that's where I think it's like, because you, dear listener, by listening to this and thinking like, how can we say that it's like between two consenting adults is it okay? Because it's like, oh, it's it's gross. But like, who should you arrest <laughs> if, if two consenting adults have sex? Who, I mean, they go. Who, who go? Who they goes go, to prison? No, they go. They they both go to prison. I know, but and isn't that messed up? Yes, yeah, it's, it's messed up. It's messed up. Yeah. So this will be our last episode as we are promptly becoming. We, we're we are, we are, we are cancelled. We're cancelled. That's it. We mm, released RSS this episode. is not gonna accept this. No, it's We've been it's been nice. Crimes against God. It's been good making this podcast with you, me. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed our free episodes. This is gonna be one of those episodes that you can't listen to in many other countries. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be our first one that's like banned in many countries. Yeah. So. But I got to talk about Romanovs. I um. I got to talk about. Uh, our wonderful it's lad good... Charles II, yeah. Emperor of Spain. It's a good good note to end on, huh? 
just <laughs> horrifying birth defects. Yeah. Various kinds. Yeah, but so that was the episode. Uh, we hope you liked it. Uh, once again, my name is Raluca, and with me is... Mia Mulder. Mia Mulder. Follow us on Twitter at Leechfest Podcast. Pod. Pod. <laughs> it's Leechfest Pod. Leechfest Pod. You know and... our Twitter account. You manage the Twitter account. I have my own Twitter account where I post memes. Um, should I post memes on the Twitter? I don't know. <laughs> Incest I, memes coming my, to your Twitter very soon. My, it doesn't have to be about... <laughs> the memes have to be about incest. So, uh, you can follow us there for incest posting. Mia. If you like our content, you can also go to our Patreon to support us for more incest posting, where we will... This is not, this is not an incest podcast now. Uh, our next Simmer down. our next incest episode is gonna come out in three weeks, roughly. <laughs> we try to have an upload schedule of once every. No, three weeks. we should. How about um, instead of incest, what's the next like sketchy topic we can do an episode? Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I have that like why was that lined up? Yeah, why was that like you didn't need you didn't hesitate for a second? <laughs> <laughs> because I know that I have a lot of hot takes about it. That's gonna get me canceled on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at LeechFestPod. Mm. Or on Patreon if you want to support the podcast financially. And you get access to episodes ex- uh, early. Yes, you do. And there's lots of other perks um, that await you. Mm-hmm. You can get a shout out in the beginning take, of the episode. Take a look. Just go and take, take a, a gander. Take a gander. See what, see what sounds good to you. And we'll see you in the next episode of LeechFest.